This is the Two Lights Podcast. Join me, Robert Nicolato, and my wife, Crystal Nicolato, as we explore the words and principles of the truth that illuminate the direction and the steps on the path of life. Today I wanted to talk about how things kind of shake out in the Old Testament. And there's different books in the Bible that talk about God kind of from a top-down, where it's like, you know, God's, you know, God said and it was. Mm -hmm. God said and it was. And so he's, it's it's top-down, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But then there's other books of the Bible that have more of a storyline to them. And it is, you see a lot more of the interaction between the individuals in the story and God. Mm -hmm. And God working with those individuals. And what's interesting about it is a lot of times it's the same story. Uh So in other words, in one of the books, you've got this, you know, the top down view but then in another part of the book, you'll actually have the same story, like the way the people saw it on the ground. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. It's something that I've been thinking about a while. So I, I felt like it would be something that we ought to talk about. When, when you think of the will of God, what do you think of? Something that God wants to happen that will happen. Well... I guess it depends, but I feel if if it's on God's end, well, I guess it depends on what you... Right. Maybe if I used the word purpose. Yeah, because if I think of the will of God, I'm like, well, it's going to happen no matter what. Right. If it's God's willing. Right. If God's willing something, and then nothing can stop it. Right. On the one hand is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But then you could look at it differently. Well, it's God's will, but if man's disobedient then it may not come to pass. I guess it just depends on, you know, if it's God's will, people don't sin. People do sin. Right. So I guess it depends. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's actually a distinction between the perspective that we just talked about. Are we looking top down? Well, and, you know, the Bible says God desires that no one would perish. Yes. And John. Yeah. You know, that's God's will. Right. But people do perish. Right. So there's some things God wills that happen no matter what. Yeah. And there's other things that God wills or desires but don't happen. Yeah, it's almost like a difference between a command, like... This is going to happen. Thou shalt. Yeah. And then Then it's like, bam, it's going to happen. Or a desire where it's like... Oh, yeah, because God says to Israel... If you were willing, I'd want to take you under my right. arms like a hen collects her chicks, but you're not. Right. Well, I th- was if I remember correctly, that was Jesus, right? Yeah. So he's coming over the Mount of Olives, and he sees Jerusalem, and he's looking forward in their history, uh, probably eighty seventy when the Romans march into Jerusalem and basically level it down to the ground. Mm. And, and he... He weeps over Jerusalem, if I remember correctly. Right. And he's saying, you know, I'm willing. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. 
And so, like a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, you know, for protection and for warmth and for um, any kind of protection that, you know, you would want, I would do that. But you will not. Will not. Right. Yeah. And so you have this thing. God, God is minding man's will. He's paying attention to it. Well, even the verse where it says the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Yeah. You know, there's these... Where was that? That's in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where Jesus is praying before yes, he dies. I think so. And he's telling his disciples to pray and stay awake and they keep falling asleep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and so there's a couple other passages here in the Old Testament. So, and th- this is one of those cases, too, where God kind of says Israel's going to get a king. Oh, yeah, I read that this morning. Right? Okay. And, but it was wrong for them to want a king. Right. Well, I think they're mo. I don't, so I read at the bottom of our, we read the same Bible. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, but we read the, we read the exact same Bible, yes, like the King James with annotated footnotes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and they said at the bottom, which I mean, they is just the the commentator. Yeah, yeah, that um, it, God had said that they would have a king eventually. Yes, and so it, the desire itself wasn't bad, but I think their motives were screwed up. Right in. And, you know, we want someone we can see and we can trust. We don't want to live by faith. We want to have, we want one person to be, you know, going out to battle for us and doing all these things. And they wanted to put their trust in something visible. Right. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was a statement that Israel in general was making, and the Bible alludes to it, is that we want to be like other nations. Right. Which was a big issue. Yes. Like that's, if your motivation's that. Yeah, and so like, well, so that means you want to be like the Amorites, you know, right. who are sacrificing their children. Well, or, Samuel was telling them like, you know, if there's a king, your kids are going to go to war. You're, you know, he's telling them all of these things. Yes, like this is what happens when there's a king. There's government. There's you know, right. And they're like, whatever, we want one. Yeah, yeah. And what were some of the things? It's like you know, if there's a strong man, your king is going to take him. Right. You no, know, your, your daughters are going, going to cook in the yeah where he lives. They're going to become servants to the king. Right. And it's like, and this is what you want, and 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 you see this appeal to the mind of Israel, to their will. Right. Um, and you're right. God's will kind of is in there that they would get a king. But I don't think he wanted that. It's weird. It's like what you're saying. Like, because he says Samuel prays to him. And he's like, at first Samuel prays to him. And he's like, what should I do? And God's like, tell them these things. Yes. So then Samuel goes back and tells them these things. And they're like, we still want one. So then Samuel goes back to God. Yes. And God's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm remembering correctly... God tells Samuel, no, they're not rejecting you. Yeah, because Samuel's Samuel. upset at first because his yeah. sons are shady. Yes, yeah. Well, what was happening with Samuel? And Samuel was the man. Yeah, but he it's was, just like Eli. Yeah. The priest before Samuel. They weren't quite like Eli and Phineas. Well, it says they so. were taking bribes. Yes. They were, so they, they were perverting judgment by taking bribes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's actually one reason why Israel rejected. Right. I guess you could say they didn't necessarily reject Samuel himself, but, the but they're like, we see the son, your sons, and we're and they're like, we want a king, we Forget want a king. It. get gone. So that that was probably like the last straw mm-hmm. in their 
deciding process. However you say that. Um, the decision-making process. Right. There is something about a king that God is warning them about. So he's appealing to them. Like, it seemed to me that God was like, you can have a king, but be careful of this. Well, I feel like he does that with the Israelites all the time. Right. I'd have to think of a sp- other specific instances, but that's how he communicates with them a bunch. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll, g- oh, it was with the manna. You know, like they were like, we don't, we want, um, they're saying we want to go back to Egypt. We want uh, that we had such good food there. That's what we want. You know, we want that food. We want to go back. Yeah. And God's like, fine, you can have quail, you know, and manna and all of that. And then God's like, it's going to be coming out of your eyeballs. Yeah, right. So God does that where he's like, okay, you can have what you're asking for, but this is what will happen. Right. You're going to get so much of it, you're going to be sick of it. Yeah. And and if I remember, there was a plague that actually went through Israel because of their, what it says, their lust for meat. So it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. You know, where it's like, I want what I don't have. Yeah. Which, that's, being hungry is not the problem, or Mm. even, but it's the, the lust Yes. You know, I have to have this, just like I have to have a king like other nations. It's, yeah. it's the improper placement of a, of a real desire. Right. Or, you know, a temptation even. Well, it would, it's something, when, whenever there's a, a physical representation of what God ought to be doing in someone's life. So, I mean, king is, like you're saying, so having a king in Israel is not necessarily bad. Right. God even says that this is going to happen in the future. It's not real clear to me that God is necessarily dictating that there was going to be a king. Right. But that maybe, maybe just stating that there was going to be right. one. I'm, right, course, right. You know, yeah, it's how just, that all falls is... Right, because we live in a sinful world. And right. Like, there's no way getting around it. Right. If you're not a robot. Right. Well, the way he's communicating reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance now. And um, the inheritance is not wrong, and the inheritance is due him, but it's not the time. Yeah. But the father's like, all right. Yeah. You know, because the son's of age. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? He's not a kid. Right. The father can give it to him. Yeah. And so the father gives him the inheritance knowing all that can happen, giving yeah. someone that prematurely, but the son's asking for it. And then the son comes back having totally screwed up his life. Yeah. And so that reminds me just like God communicates like that often. Yeah. He gives them, like Romans 1, he gives them over yeah. to what they've asked for. Right. Yeah. And I think what I was trying to say earlier too is that the king of Israel ended up being a physical distraction from the real thing that Israel was supposed to be keeping its eyes on. Right, which God. is faith. Yeah. Right, which, and, but they wanted something they could see. Right. And so it's like, okay, I'll give you this thing that you can see, but be careful because it can distract you from what you can't see, me, you know, the Lord. Right. And is actually the the thing that you need to be keeping your quote unquote eyes on. And you see how prone they are. Like Moses goes up on the mountain and he's not even gone 
Yeah. You know, very long, and they're like, we've got to have a calf. Yeah. Like, they want stuff they can see 24-7. Yeah. You know, and so it just makes you think, okay, my own life, how am I doing that? Because obviously that's a temptation to people, considering the whole Old Testament is pretty much only that. Right. And then once they got a king, like you said, it's just more and more. Right. And so God spends a lot of his time with speaking to individuals, especially the leaders, because Israel's so prone to to the need of having a leader, like you're saying. It, throughout Judges, it's like there's one person that God leads after another Mm-hmm. To deliver Israel from other nations that are just destroying them, oppressing them. them for a yeah. long time, yeah. And as soon as that leader is gone, they are right back to, you know, as if God never existed. Which even the Bible talks about that with parenting too, where you see that with Samuel and Eli, like one yeah. generation's godly, the next is wicked, or with the kings of yeah. the Bible. Oh, right, between the yeah, different like kings. David and his sons, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, and I remember our pastor saying that too, like, oh no, maybe, um, he might have been quoting someone like Charles Spurgeon. I can't remember who he's quoting, but he said, Christianity is always in danger. Oh, it was Ronald, no, that was Ronald Reagan. That was talking about freedom. But I think it was, must have been Ronald Reagan talking about freedom. And he said, freedom is always in danger of, uh, is just one generation uh-huh. away from becoming extinct. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can't yeah. imagine that. But I think that's the same with faith. Well, that would be in, like a principle and an idea is one generation away from not existing anymore if it's not communicated from one generation to another. Which we see with Samuel yeah. and Eli. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. And not to say that Samuel wasn't communicating to his sons. Yeah, it doesn't say. It just said that his sons Were shady. didn't get it. That the God was not the object to his, to Samuel's sons, and there's a couple other. So we just talked about Jonah, right? Mm-hmm. Something about the way God is communicating to Jonah, and you see God speaking to Jonah about Nineveh, and and we talked about this in our last podcast about um, Nazis, Jonah. And, and God, mm-hmm. you see this appealing to the will of Jonah. It's like, hey, Jonah, shouldn't I have mercy on this great city? Right, like reasoning. Yes. Or like debating. Yeah. Yeah, like engaging in. Trying to turn his mind to, Jonah, look at what I'm seeing here. Well, God does that in Job, too. Yeah. Yes, he does. Like in a huge way. Yes. Yeah. And then with Gideon, um, in Judges, Gideon is a, a mighty warrior. He's, he's one of the primary figures in the book of Judges that leads uh, Israel out of bondage to the Moabite, or Midianites. And I've heard this before among uh, the uh, Protestant culture that, you know, was Gideon right? Because Gideon has three things happen to him that were directly from God. One of them was that that an angel visits him to tell him that, hey, you're the one that's going to deliver Israel out of their bondage. And Gideon's like, what? (laughs) 
And so the angel shows Gideon that he is a proper messenger of God by uh, burning up out of, a, out of a rock a sacrifice that Gideon had offered. Do you remember what the second thing was? Fleece, right? Yep, yeah. And so what happened with the fleece? It was kind of like Gideon was asking God, hey, can you confirm that this is what I think it is? Right. And there, we don't. I guess we don't know what the time lapse between the first sign of the angel burning up Gideon's sacrifice right. and the fleece. There might have been a, an expanse of time there. We, we, I guess I don't really know. Right. Um, off the top of my head anyway. And... So he takes a fleece, he puts it on the ground, and I'm I'm probably going to get this backwards, but he asks for God to put moisture on the fleece and not on the ground. And then, moisture on the ground and not on the fleece. Right. Um, So like when the dew fell, in other words. So he threw this fleece out on the ground, and he used the dew as evidence for um, what God was... That, that he do. was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, <laughs> yeah. that was funny. So, and then the last one was God actually says to Gideon, If you're still afraid, go down to the Midianite camp. And so, there was the Midianites, the Amorites, and there was an, and just people from the, from the right. north. The gigabytes. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Terabytes. (laughs) But there was a lot of people anyway. It said that like it covered the entire valley, like locusts. Tons, yeah. And so he goes down there and he he gets further confirmation from the Lord that he is going to be who God said like four times, five times what he's going to be. And the Lord said he could take somebody if he was afraid to go. Yeah, yeah. And and he does too, yeah, he doesn't he? He takes his servant or his friend. Or? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's amazing how God works so hard to help Gideon understand who he is. Yeah, and then when Gideon goes down to look at the camp, one of the men says, "You know, I had this dream." Yeah. And it means that you know Gideon's gonna come and. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's insane. Yes. Yeah. So, I I, I thought that was interesting how you see God shepherding the will of people mm-hmm. and and that there's a participation with God and the the will of Gideon, the will of David. Well, I uh, remember it's one of the founding fathers. I don't remember who it was, but they said God governs in the affairs of men. Yeah. And they were saying that in reference to our country and to, yeah. you know, that God does that. Yes. Yeah. What it lended to me is this idea that God is, it, it goes back to that mercy idea, or, or a father to his children. Um, you know, how do we interact with our children? I want, you know, our, our girls, our little boy, to understand why we do the things that we do. Right. So I'm, I am appealing to their will, to their understanding to help them come around to, it's not just what mom and dad say. Right. It's 
what are the reasons behind it? And so right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, broadcast that to them constantly. And so God, like a good father, is doing that to us. And I just thought that, that was that was pretty amazing. Yeah. And so one of the questions that got me started on this is, what is God talking, say, to Jonah for if what Jonah is going to do is already determined? Right. Why is he communicating to Gideon, to Jonah? Well, and maybe... And maybe still what they're going to do is determined. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's still talking to them. I'm I'm not I it's weird, you know? Like God knows everything that's gonna happen mm-hmm. because God was around before time began and God set the earth into motion. So somehow God knows everything that will ever happen mm-hmm. before we're even born. Mm-hmm. But yet he doesn't will sin, mm-hmm. like it says in James, you know, no man God doesn't tempt men. Right. So somehow God knows everything that's going to happen, but he's not the author of evil. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's still part of him bidding people to obey and convincing people of what is true. Mm-hmm. You know, like we'll hear about um, people in the Middle East having dreams about the Lord. You know, yeah. God trying to convince them right. that I'm God. Right. Right. When you see where the question's coming from, though, yeah, right? like why would God even do that? Right. If if everything is so straightforward, then what's with this appeal to yeah. the will of men? And I, I have no. It, it's I know yeah. it's it's just a big fat question. That right. Like, I don't know. Right. There's, there's appeal to man. Right. You know, death like without a doubt. Right. But. What God says is going to happen in the, I mean, you know what I mean? Like even now, like the Bible says what God's decrees, no one can undo. Mm -hmm. So there's this balance between believing, okay, everything that happens in my life, it's a balance, right? Because, you know, the Bible says God tempts no one to sin. Yes. So say you've been sinned against greatly. I find comfort in the believing nothing happened to me outside of the will of God. Yeah. And that really helps me to believe, okay, no moment of my life was outside of God's sovereignty. And if God had not wanted any of it to happen, right. he could have stopped it. Yeah. And if he didn't stop it, it meant it was for my good and it yeah. had a purpose. But see, even that, saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, that's a little tricky mm-hmm. because... Was it God's will? You know what I mean? Like, if you're raped, well, that wasn't God's will. God doesn't will that. So is it theologically sound for for me to say nothing's happened to my life outside of the will of God? Maybe using the word will might be a little... Yeah. Might be misrepresenting it. Uh But... There's this verse in, uh, I think it's First Peter chapter 4.19. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, um, and, and First Peter chapter 4 in particular is talking about suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering as a Christian. Right. And it says, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him as unto a faithful creator. Right. As 
the keeping of their souls as unto a faithful creator. Right. And I've always thought about that in in the same note that you're speaking, where it's like, God is in this in a way that's personal. Right. Well, at the very least, you can say Romans 8.28 is true. Or like what Joseph says in Genesis, like his brothers, like Joseph went through horrible oh, right. suffering. And yep. is, you know... So at and the end, well, for for listeners that aren't familiar with what happened with Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, being innocent. Yeah, and um, then he ends up being in the end because of his character, um, Pharaoh's number one assistant. Yeah, and his brothers come to him not knowing it's him, right? Because there's a famine in the land and they're starving, right? And Joseph ends up revealing himself to his brothers, and they're afraid of retribution because yeah. they were so horrible, and he says. What you meant for evil, God used for good. Right. So I guess Joseph doesn't say in that particular instance, you know, this was supposed to happen, you know, or like this was God's will, definitely, or like God Mm. ordained. I don't know. He doesn't put it in the deterministic frame. Yes, but he does say it's absolutely redeemed and used for my good. Right. Meaning anything that happens to me may not be deterministic, Mm -hmm. but it's always able to be redeemed and used for my good and does not have to have everlasting, tormentous um, effects. Right. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. anything evil that happens to me, God can use for good. And that's the miracle of being a Christian. Yeah. So perhaps that's better than saying, you know, God willed for this to happen to me. Mm -hmm. You know, because James does say God doesn't will sin. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and like, so, how in the heck could God will such atrocities? Like, God wills for babies to be aborted? Like, no, of course not. Mm. So, right. And then who's got? And then, and then, in that case, holding a human responsible for that? Yeah, right. Because it's like, oh, it's God, and it's like, no, that that makes that doesn't really make any sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I'm o- I'm okay with the idea of. God being God. Right. And what that means exactly is not very clear in how all these things work out. And I think and and I think in the New Testament it says that we will that we look through a glass darkly. Right. It's like it's kind of shady. Right. It's kind of like looking through a fog and trying to right. you know find the lines on the highway that I'm on. Like, oh, maybe I need to go a little slower here. I can't see much of what's going on in front of me. Right. But there's certain things as I, as we've propagated through the Bible over and over and over again, where you see God's power and will, but then you also see man's will Mm-hmm. And you see the interplay between the two, and I see justice in it. Right. That it's not, I, I guess you could say it's not easy to understand. Right. But it's it's something where I can put my trust in it in the same, in the same way that I could put my trust in a creator of a chair or a the car. There's a lot about my car that I don't get. I go out, I stick my key in it, it's got gas in it, it's got oil in it, and right. it runs. Right. I don't know all the 
the intricacies about it. Right. You know, I've got some clue, but right. not enough to make one, that's for sure. Right. So, but it, it's unnecessary for me to know all the inner workings in order for it to be a functioning system. Right. So in the past, when I've thought about this idea in general, there's always been a story that I've fallen back on that I think illustrates it pretty well. In the Old Testament, you've got this battle between the Amorites and the children of Israel. Moses and Joshua are tasked by God to go into this battle Joshua or Moses has Joshua pick out men and they go to battle with the Amorites in this valley and Moses is up on this hill praying for the battle and so in the course of the battle Joshua and the other leaders notice that as Moses's hands fall from prayer that their success down in the valley the the battle becomes Obviously, it becomes obviously to them less effective. So it's like, you know, Moses' hands drop. We start losing this battle. Right. And so Moses raises his, Moses raises his hands again, and they're winning. And so they, they notice this, and Moses starts getting tired, and so... Uh, Joshua and I think it's Aaron prop up Moses's hands in prayer until the battle is over, and so you see that the prayer and the battle in the valley are connected. Moses isn't fighting in the bat in down in the valley, but someone has to be swinging the sword in the valley. Joshua's not up on the hill praying, but someone has to be up on the hill praying. And if you take the soul of a person, you almost have got the same kind of a battle happening where, say, for instance, King David, or David when he fights Goliath, the Benjaminites were known for their ability to throw stones. Uh... There's a story earlier in Judges where it's like 23,000 Benjaminites are just wailing on 150,000 Israelites. Right. So these guys knew how to fight. The likelihood is, is that David knew how to fight. He knew how to f- sling a stone. Mm-hmm. In that In that story in Judges, they said that a Benjaminite was so accurate with slinging a stone that they could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So there was actually no real miracle in David whacking Goliath with the stone between the eyes. Any Benjaminite could have done that. Mm-hmm. But who does David still give the credit to? The Lord. The Lord. You know, the Lord was going to deliver you into my hand, Goliath. 
was his words to Goliath. You know, this day I am going to deliver you to the birds of the air. And so the interplay between the spiritual and the physical is, you know, between the will of God and the and the, the mind of God and the will of man is is a real thing. And I don't know how you separate them, but the, at the same time, I don't know how you explain them 100% either. Right. So I just thought that that was an interesting thought. Yeah. I don't have a solution to it. Right. But it's just something that... How does that work out in the day-to-day? Well, if you're looking for a job, you pray. Yeah. And you look for a job. Yeah. And you pray about every job you look for. Raising our kids. What does that look like? You pray about how to do it, but you feed them. Yeah, you feed them, you you take care of them, you you show them. And you pray about more opportunities and the ones you have. Yeah, yeah. And so you're looking for areas where it's like, well, I'm not hitting the mark here. Right. You're... You're honing your skill on earth while you're praying for God to hone your skill in, in from heaven. Right. It's something along those lines. Right. And so it's there's a, there's there's the physical prowess of the things that you know and can do. Right. But there's a humility of realizing that you can't necessarily do them. Right. Really, to the extent that. Is you need required. to. Right. It's both. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that um, fall into that category. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, are there any other thoughts? I don't think so. All right, we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. You have been listening to the Two Lights Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. If you did not enjoy this podcast, feel free not to give us any rating at all. We would like to keep our rating up at five if we can. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. And from the Nicolato house to yours, we thank you.